Turn to the back side of the prayer sheet uh, where it's got the prayers of the Bible series up at the top. We were finishing up 1 Corinthians last week, so we've been going through all the different prayers of the Bible and um, the, uh, based on a book by Herbert Lockyer. And uh, obviously one guy compiled it, so it's possible he missed a few, but it's fairly comprehensive and I think it's been a helpful discussion. So we were finishing up 1 Corinthians uh, if we look at chapter 15, uh, verse 28, we have it in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to the One who subjected all things to Him, so that God may be all in all. And then if we look down to um, the end of the chapter, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 15, there's a lot in this chapter about the resurrection. So my question would be, how is prayer connected with the resurrection of Jesus? Any connections that you would see in our daily lives or uh, important points that might relate to between the two things? Sandra, go ahead. Because he's raised from the dead, we can pray for his second coming. Okay? Yeah. Okay? Sure. And if he wasn't raised, we wouldn't pray for him to come back because he wouldn't be coming. Okay, that's a good one. All right, what else? What are some other potential connection points between the idea of praying and the reality of the resurrection? Okay, good. Yes, yeah, Sandra? Okay, yeah, so there's, a, there's definitely a picture there of those realities of uh, salvation and baptism, okay? Importance of the resurrection there. Anything else? Jared? Okay. Sure. If Jesus died and God didn't accept his sacrifice, we have no place to come before God. Jonathan? Absolutely. Okay. Go ahead and take a minute and write down one or more of these things or how can you meditate on the resurrection in prayer and thank God for his amazing work.
If we could have one or two people pray and thank God for the resurrection and the other blessings of salvation associated with it. All right, if we turn now to 2 Corinthians, uh, we see this idea of prayer as a benediction. Uh, benediction being uh, like a statement of blessing toward another person on behalf of, uh, uh, either on behalf of God or a, or a um, sort of a blessing directed toward God from his people. And I think we see the second one here where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but there's also a blessing directed from God as well. So uh, someone want to read uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4? 2 Corinthians 1, 2 through 4. Bruce, thanks. Can you also read verse 11 as well? Verse 11, just verse 11. All right, so what, the first question I would have is, what role does prayer have in comfort? So Paul says, we've received comfort. 
Blessed be God who comforts us. We've gone through suffering. We have hope for you. Verses 8 through 10, just before verse 11, says, We almost died when we were in Asia, but you were praying for us. What connection is there between prayer and comfort experienced by Paul or experienced by other people? Jonathan? Okay, so that's true. God was uh, in control of things and will take care of us. What else? Other connections between prayer and comfort from God. Okay. So, uh, Rob? Okay. I would maybe argue that we do see that here. So we kind of skipped these verses. Maybe we should have read the whole section, like 1 through 11. But Paul said, We were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so we despaired of life, verse 8. But we put, God's, put trust in God who raises the dead, which kind of ties into back to chapter 15. God delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, and he will yet deliver us, you joining and helping us through your prayer. So if we pray for God's deliverance for other people who are going through great affliction and God delivers them, then our prayers have to some degree been part of God's mechanism for bringing them comfort. And when God delivers them and answers uh, and says yes, then, then there's an opportunity for thanksgiving. Now, should we thank God that he answers our prayers, whether or not we get the answer that we like? Yes, Paul makes that clear in the whole thorn in the flesh passage, which is the next one that we'll look at. But I think there's a particular kind of rejoicing when God does some kind of unexpected work to deliver someone. So um, Peter's in jail. They're going to, I don't know if they're going to hang him or stone him or whatever it was they're going to do the next day. And everybody's praying at... It was Peter's house, wasn't it? In the book of Acts? They're all at his house. He's in jail. They're praying for him to come home. He comes home and they're like, no. Nah. Because they didn't believe what Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians 1, which is when you pray, God can answer that prayer and then it's supposed to result in rejoicing. But in their case, it resulted in confusion and uh, disbelief at first, at least. Okay? Bruce? Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Anybody else come up with one where there was a, maybe not immediate, but a fairly prompt answer to prayer for help? Oh, Daniel in the lion's den? Okay. Yeah, I think it's reasonable to assume there are people praying for him, Rob.
Yeah, I think that, yeah, his name, Jairus or Jairus, I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, synagogue official, his daughter dies and Jesus raises her from the dead. Okay. Yeah, so that's one example. This one, Peter. Yes. Sandra. Okay, Samuel, in what, in what way? Okay. Yeah, so there's an immediate answer to his prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he prays later for the deliverance of the people from their enemies at various points. So I think we would see, again, kind of that parallel of an immediate, immediate answer, immediate help. Um, there's lots of answers to prayer. If we focused even just specifically on the ones where there is sort of this imminent threat that God answers, I think, you know, several of these examples. Okay. Yes, Sandra. Sure. Uh, so let's talk about that for a minute. Um, let's say last week you stubbed your foot really bad and your toenail fell off. Um, that's painful, but it's not as painful as, let's say, um, somebody who gets a really bad infection and loses a leg. Those are two different classes of things. Now, if you, and I'm not trying to make light of this, but I'm just trying to... to illustrate a point. If you go to the person who lost his leg and say, I know exactly what you're going through, you're probably not in a place to do that. But if you say in this moment of frustration, when, I mean, there's a, sometime last fall when I was supposed to go hunting, I, uh, I did that to my foot and I wasn't even sure I was going to be able to get my boot on because it was my little toe. And it's not, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it can completely change your plan. So if you say, in this moment, I was frustrated about a very small change of plans and I needed to pray and depend on God and here's how he encouraged me, you can share that with that person. I think you just have to do it in a way that doesn't say, you know, someone comes up to you and they're like, my gerbil died, and then someone else says, my grandpa died, and you talk about it like the, they're the same thing. They're not the same thing. So that would be one thing, I think, when we're, when we're trying to share the comfort. You don't have to have experienced the exact same thing. You just have to recognize the differences between your experience and their experience. And um, it doesn't even have to be this super profound thing. Sometimes we feel like if we don't have maybe a, a little mini sermon ready to go about all the great truths God reminded us of. I, I remembered this from Job. I remembered this from Paul's experience. I remembered this from Jesus' experience. And, and I just sort of bring them all together. Sometimes it can just be one thing that God encouraged you with that can also be an encouragement to that other person. Any other thoughts on that real quick? And received it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts on that? Okay. Uh, go ahead, if you would, and write down maybe an example of how God has comforted you that you could share with someone else.
Just one example I wanted to share. If you have one, you're welcome to share that as well. Uh, there's been several times in the last four or five years that Psalm 139 has been a challenge and encouragement, particularly the verses that talk about wherever we go, whatever's going on, God is present. And then the one that talks about um, God knowing our frame before we're born and the span of our days before any of them are counted. And I think those are profound things to think about. Any other verses come to mind that maybe have been an encouragement and comfort to you that you'd like to share? Sandra? Okay. Which says? Any other verses come to mind that have been an encouragement or help to you? A little worried that was the boiler system for a second. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's go ahead and pray. I'll, I'll start, and if someone else wants to pray too, that's fine. Uh, for uh, thanking God for his comfort and seeking his help that we would share comfort that we receive from him. Father, uh, there are there are ways in which um, I think it's been easy at different points in my life to feel like I'm the one who should be helping other people and not the one who needs to be helped. But there's definitely been circumstances in which you've shown me that I really am the one that needs the help. And in those moments, I thank you for the reminders of promises from your word, truths about who you are, um, people praying regularly or people meeting needs in lots of practical ways, whether it be a meal or a gift card or just uh, a word of encouragement through a card or a phone call or a text or whatever else. I pray that um, I would not, and all of us, to the extent that we've received those kinds of uh, blessings through your hand from others, that we would not uh, just sort of hold on to them for ourselves, but we would see in them an opportunity that in the moment that we really needed the help, you provided it. And in the moment when someone else really needs the help, that we would be ready and willing to provide it there as well. Uh, I think um, sometimes if we've gone through a moment of great difficulty, it's easy to think that we don't really want to uh, be on the lookout for other situations of difficulty because maybe we want to uh, be happy or uh, take a break or something along those lines. And while I don't think we need to go out of our way to always be looking for hard things, I also think that there's uh, a sense in which um, we do need to not waste the truth and blessings that you've entrusted to us. And so help us not to waste them, but instead to share them in the right time, in the right way, uh, to accomplish your purpose um, 
in situations like these. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul prays uh, in a passage that we're probably familiar with to have a thorn removed, he says. In the context of boasting about... Um, so Paul uses the word boasting in various ways. Uh, usually in Corinthians, he's talking about the idea of rejoicing in something. So I think he draws a lot of it from Jeremiah where it says, let the one who boasts, boast not in strength or power or wisdom or money or all those things, but instead that he understands and knows the Lord. So Paul, I think, made that his goal as well, that his rejoicing would not be in anything of himself or things that people would naturally look to, but only in the fact that he had a walk with God. So one of those things that was potentially a temptation for him to boast in himself is the fact that God gave him this vision of remarkable things in the beginning of chapter 12. And so then he talks about this thorn in the flesh uh, in verses 7 through 10. So I want to read 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Okay, good. Okay, good.
So uh, what, what um, explanations have you heard for what the thorn in the flesh was? Okay, so we know that Paul's eyes had a problem, at least we think we know it. Uh, what's sort of the evidence for that, you remember? Uh, why, why do people think Paul had a problem with his eyes? So there's this the thing where he's struck blind at the very beginning when he's converted, but even later on, you're thinking of something? So at the end of one of his letters, he says something about, see what large letters I'm writing with my own hand, and we don't think that's just that his letter was long. We think it's that he's making the actual words, the, you know. Um, so um, we know that, as far as we can tell, he had a problem with eyesight. Based on the list of things he describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it's not shocking that he would have other physical difficulties as well. So I think our natural tendency is to think that he's talking about a physical problem when we see in verses 7 through 10. Any other ideas about that that you might have heard? Jared? Yeah, so the word there is, I think, if I remember correctly, it's the word, same word that's sometimes translated angel. So I'm not saying it's impossible that it is a physical issue that it's in view here. But it does seem to be that it's not just a physical issue, or perhaps instead that it is a messenger, an angel of Satan to torment him. Now, we see from the Old Testament... Uh, Maybe not just from the Old Testament. We see in the Bible this idea that behind wicked people stands messengers, angels of Satan, demons. So uh, Satan himself is, there's sort of this flickering back and forth that if you look at the after image versus what's right in the forefront of your view, it's king of Tyre, Satan, king of Tyre, Satan, king of Tyre, Satan, like that happens in Isaiah 14. Or... Um, there's another one in Ezekiel 28. So Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Um, my best attempt to understand what Paul is saying here is that in light of Paul's repeated desire that his work would not be pointless, that the people he preached the gospel to would keep following God, I think Satan afflicted him through the people who rejected his ministry after having formerly walked with him. Now, that's a, like a correlation of a bunch of passages. I'm not, it's not a hill I'd die on. But I think it would be consistent with what's going on there. 
add that to the fact that he also has this broken body from all the persecution he's been to, then to have, in addition to that, the spiritual and emotional trauma of someone like Demas, who walks with Paul, described as a co-worker, and then later, he left me because he loved this present world. Or there's a man named Alexander who early on seems to be a companion of Paul, and then he says, Alexander the coppersmith has done me much harm. Are they the same Alexander? We don't know 100%, but based on the warnings in Hebrews and the example we have with Judas Iscariot, it is not shocking that there would have been multiple people who are co-workers of Paul who abandon him. Some of them repent and come back, like John Mark, some of them, as far as we know, never did come back. And so if Satan can say, you know, here's this person that has been tempted, that has given into the temptation, and now is sort of taunting Paul, why are you still doing this? What's the point of this? Your whole work has been worthless. Look at all these people who've abandoned you. We get a glimpse of that in 2 Timothy where he says, I'm basically all alone. Come here quickly, soon, because I need somebody to be here with me. Everybody else has been sent out on ministry. Some of them have left the faith. A bunch of them are busy doing God's work, and it's just me, and I think I'm about to die. I need somebody here with me. And I don't think that's sort of a... Obviously, he has God, but he wants other encouragement as well. So my argument would be, so that he does not boast in the amazing visions and glimpses... Like, he's seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he's seen the glories of heaven at a later point, it seems, unless that's the vision that he's referring to, so at least once, possibly twice, maybe more than that, we don't know, Paul has had the opportunity to see God's presence. That would be something you and I would probably be excited about. You know, if we had connections with a publisher today, we'd go write a book and make a lot of money. And that's the exact opposite of what God wanted Paul to do. And so instead, he, he afflicted him in this way. And he said, so Paul prays three times, take it away. What's God's response? Right? But what, is, what does Paul say? When Paul prayed to God three times to take it away, what did God say? Okay. Sure. So, what are we then to conclude about a right pattern of prayer in long-lasting trials? Sandra? Okay. 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 Good. I don't know. 
necessarily mean it. And the reality is God's will is going to be done whether I pray for it or not. But I think it's interesting. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for it, but I think it's just interesting that he says, I implore the Lord three times that it might leave me. And then the Lord responded this. I think it's good for us to pray for it, but then to Sandra's point, accepting it, but not I think apart from a direct revelation from God, we do have to be careful because as far as interpreting circumstances, it's easy for us to sort of fall into the same pattern. I'm not saying that we do this, but the whole thing about making a cup of tea, dump it out, look at the bottom of the cup, cut open a random animal, see how it looks in there, come to a conclusion about what it means for life, reading tarot cards, all these sorts of things we can become very superstitious in our understanding of circumstances. I think there's some things that are brutally obvious. Um, going back to the illustration from earlier, if you have diabetes and you're praying to God that your foot will get better and it gets really worse and it gets cut off, I think that's a pretty clear answer in a moment like that. Some things, though, it's really hard to know 100%. Sandra? Yes. Jonathan? Sure. Yeah, so if we look at, for example, um, uh, 
if we look at, for example, um, Nebuchadnezzar. He goes through this period of humbling for seven years, and then God restores him. So that's one example. Um, I think it's a really important point that God doesn't have to take away the difficulty for his work to be accomplished in us. I think that's an important point to remember. Jared? Sure. I don't know that there's a set time period because it doesn't say how, what the interval was between the three prayers. So I think there's a measure of wisdom. And if we get to a spot where we realize I've come to terms with this, but God actually wants to take it away, I don't think any of us would say no to that. So um, we don't know what the future holds. Sandra, are you going to say something? And then Jared? Let me just throw this out as an example. If I make the observation that um, every time I eat pizza I get sick, I can pray for God to take that away so that I can enjoy pizza. But if I continue to do that and make myself sick, I don't think that I'm being... Uh, rice, yeah. So my point is, um, you know, to the extent that there are certain steps we can take to try to solve it in addition to asking God for a miraculous kind of intervention, I think we should take those steps. But there are situations in which, again, it doesn't seem like something is going to get better. And so we have to say, all right, God, I don't understand this. It doesn't seem like you want to change this. Help me to get through it and, and that kind of thing. Jared, what were you saying? And in those moments, it's, it's good for our soul because, I mean, just speaking from personal experience, in the moments when we think we have it all figured out that knowledge or money or connections or experience or something about ourselves is going to fix the problem, 
we tend not to think we have to pray very much because I got it. In the moments when all of that fails, we absolutely have to pray desperately to God, and that is a good thing for our souls, even though it's not enjoyable. So, okay. Uh, I would encourage you to write down how you've prayed in similar trials. And again, if your trial that you feel like you've experienced that's the closest parallel to Paul's is a physical trial, I'm not saying you can't write that down. What I want us to do is sort of broaden our horizon based on the things I was saying earlier to realize sometimes it is, sometimes there are relationship thorns in the flesh or ministry thorns in the flesh or things that involve people and situations, not just I'm sick, that God uses to drive us to our knees. So just want to throw that out there as part of this. Okay, if we could have one or two people pray something along these lines for God to help us find his grace sufficient, even if he doesn't take away a trial, and for others who are going through a similarly weighty trial that you know of or that could be looming in the future.
Amen. Um, reminds me of something I was reading earlier today from uh, one of the Voice of the Martyrs publications that there was a man in a country where Christianity is not well received. And he told 30 or 40 people about Jesus, family, neighbors, and so on. And the people in his region who followed the local religion hated him. And they came and destroyed his house and tried to kill him with him in it when they destroyed his house. And he escaped with some measure of, of um, injury and uh, continued to say, I'm, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And I think to Jonathan's point, as he was praying, compared to that, we have it relatively easy despite the real difficulties that we face. And so uh, I think part of this thorn in the flesh idea is considering those who face uh, daily persecution from neighbors and family and, and things like that around the world, which is I think, a more normal experience of most Christians in terms of percentage in the church. So We'll pick up with uh, one on numbers uh, later. We'll stop there for tonight. I just wanted to... Uh, I should probably turn.